Be Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here. I want to remind you today that you matter, that your life is worth living. You would say, Doc Brian, you, you just don't even know what's going on in my life. And I would tell you, while it does matter what's going on in your life, there is nothing that you cannot get through. Look back at your entire life and look at all the, the tragedy, the, the trauma, the abuse, the bad times. Take a look at all of those things and realize you made it through. You're a survivor. Then look at what you're dealing with today and know that if you could get through everything previously, you can get through today. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here and welcome to Doc Talks. We talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and hopefully triumphs in life. Today we're going to talk about something that's kind of overlooked uh, within the scope of mental health, I think. It, it happens more often than than we realize, but I think that it kind of is outside of, of what we appear or think when we think about mental health, and that is postpartum depression. Now, postpartum depression is simply that after you have your baby, that you become depressed that you have what's known as the baby blues, or you don't think that you can be a good mother to your child. And this, you know, kind of goes on for, um, you know, a month or two, but once it gets past that month or four to six weeks, you really need to stop and possibly consider seeing someone for your depression. Now, postpartum depression can turn into postpartum psychosis, which is very dangerous. The rate of suicide of those who have postpartum psychosis is much higher and even can turn into a point of where the mother kills their child. I think it's something like 2%. And so we need to be very mindful uh, as as men, as as husbands, as partners, that we keep an eye on mom, that we really try to keep her best interest in mind. And we all do our part to make sure that the baby is healthy, but we also look after the mom. Today I have a guest with me, and we're going to talk about her experience with postpartum depression. So today I have with me Julia Spencer. Uh, you're all the way out in California, aren't you? No, I'm in Canada. Oh, you're in Canada. Okay. What part of Canada are you in? I'm in Calgary, Alberta. Okay. So uh, what is what time zone are you in? This would be mountain. Okay. Yeah, so it's 12, 16 p.m. Okay. So you're an hour behind us here. So we're going to talk today about postpartum depression uh, that you experienced uh, with with your child. But did you 
did you have any signs of depression prior to finding out that you were going to have a baby? Um, yeah, I would say so. I think mostly throughout my teens and uh, early adulthood, I kind of did like ups and downs a lot. So I would be okay for a while. And then all of a sudden it would just be, these lows would just hit me really, really hard. And then it would take a couple of, sorry if you can hear my son. That's fine. I thought he'd take a nap, but he's not. <laughs> the lows would hit and it would take maybe a couple of weeks to kind of get myself out of it. I was still functioning, which I thought meant that I wasn't depressed. So I would be like, oh, I can still go to work, do schoolwork, hang out with people, you know, just regular stuff. So I just assumed, no, like it, this is totally normal. Yeah. <laughs> and then eventually it just started to happen more and more. And that's when I was like, okay, obviously this is something. But before, right before having my daughter, I was fine. Like there was really nothing to worry about until after. Okay. So did the depression kind of go away when you first found out you were going to have a baby? Yeah. Yeah. Just because it, it comes and go. I don't think I was depressed, honestly, the entire pregnancy. Come to think of it, um, it was our first child. Both me and my husband were super excited. So we focused so much on that that we, or at least I didn't really have the opportunity to get depressed about anything. It was a tough pregnancy. And even so, I still was trucking along just fine. So, Yeah, I, I'm sure that, that you know, of course, when a, when a woman is going to have a baby, there is this overload of, of hormones that take place. And there are actually some neurological diseases that kind of go away during pregnancy. And sometimes what we see is people who are chronically depressed when they enter into the stage of, of pregnancy, that that depression kind of lightens and there's not so much of a up and down type of mood. So would you say that within the time of your pregnancy, there might have been bad days and good days, but it wasn't a depression of where you just noticed that things were were not right? Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much how I went. Yeah, there wasn't really, I'm trying to think back with both and it never happened where the way that it would before. Sure. And the depression that you had as a as a young adult, teenager, was it situational? Like, did something happen that would cause you to be depressed or was it just nothing happened and you would be depressed or, or then you would come out of it that, or was it situational? Certain situations would kickstart it, but then even once that had been dealt with, it would continue until it just, like it was honestly just a waiting game. Sure. Uh, were you ever treated for that depression growing up? No, I was not. Okay. So now you are going to have your first child and you have the the baby and, and what is, was a boy or girl? I had a girl first. I had a girl. Yeah. Okay. And so you have this brand new baby girl and immediately after seeing the baby for the first time, getting to hold her, what were your immediate thoughts? I I remember this vivid. I really wanted to remember this because I have a horrible memory, <laughs> but I was like, I have to, you know, like imprint it into my mind. So I never forget. They handed her to me and I would just bawl it because I was waiting for that cry because uh, there was a a blue sheet it was a c-section so there's that blue sheet and you're just like waiting and then they finally you finally hear the cry and then they handed her 
well, to my husband, I think, because I was shaking so bad. But then he put her right next to me and I would just cry. Like I would just bawling my eyes out. I was so excited and so happy because it had been a long, she was overdue actually. So it had been a long wait uh, for her to come. I was honestly, I think that was the happiest I was. And then after that, all of a sudden worried. It was just me being worried the entire time I was in the hospital. So, so yeah. can you kind of describe what that worry was like for you? Honestly, the way I describe it is just like the first few days of motherhood. I just didn't know what I was doing. I also I had my this was pre COVID. It was twenty eighteen. So I had my mom and my husband with me, and I did not want them to ever leave me because I felt that I did not know what I was doing. I hardly slept. I was there for three days because I had a C-section. Probably slept just to kind of get the drugs to wear off. And then after that, I did not sleep. I was awake the entire... I would be tired, but I would just not sleep. So I think that also made it worse. Just the fact that I wasn't sleep. I hadn't had any sleep since I went into labor and just everything in general. So that's where that was going. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And not sleeping, of course, is one of the one of the signs of depression. Did you at some point uh, when you and I were talking prior to the podcast getting started, you said that you kind of felt like you haven't even like you didn't even have a baby that that this was your inadequacy, like you weren't really a mom and, and those thoughts. Can you kind of explain that to us? Yeah. So while at the hospital, um, I guess for those who haven't had children um, at the hospital, they do, depending on how you want to feed your child, they help you out with that. So I wanted to breastfeed and because of just a long labor and then leading to an emergency C-section, for whatever reason, my milk hadn't come in. So I wasn't even able to feed her. And then I was also thinking, I was obviously in pain. And then I was also thinking of the fact that I had spent the last, it was 24 hours of labor. So I had spent 24 hours, you know, thinking that I would be able to naturally have her and I couldn't. And that just broke me, honestly. And and I thought it would go away once I was at home because I was like, oh, whatever, it just happened two days ago. Obviously, you're going to be focused on this because it's upsetting. And it ended up lasting way longer than two days. So, yeah. So within uh, postpartum depression, we do see that it happens more often when someone has a cesarean as opposed to a vaginal birth. And and I think that maybe because, which as a man, I can only explain this the way I would think it could be, uh, obviously. But when you have a, have a child by cesarean, it doesn't really feel like you have actually, you know, gone through the birthing process. And it's kind of hard for you mm -hmm. to wrap your mind around it. Just more like feels like, you've had a surgery, an abdominal surgery, and you're trying to get over that. And so it's normal for anyone to have uh, what we call the baby blues. You know, for, for a week or two, we feel inadequate. We, you know, feel like we don't have what it takes to be a mother. But then those should kind of wear off by the third or fourth week. And so what you're saying, what I'm hearing is that you had those moments, but yours never wore off no honestly i i think it was those three days went home and then i found that i still wasn't sleeping i think the first two weeks of my daughter being at home 
I struggled to sleep in general. And then I also was still struggling to feed her. And I also found that I did not want to be alone. Mm. And like, I found that that was the hardest part for me. My husband was, had just gotten a new job at the time. So I wasn't able to have his support, really. The healing process of a C-section is horrible <laughs> as well to add on to that. And then my mom also had to go back to work. So I was alone learning all this stuff. And I just felt so overwhelmed. I was crying constantly, <laughs> but also not sleeping. So all of that was just, it just was not helping. It probably lasted, did I mention it was about, I think about five months of that. Wow. Yeah. And so, of course, your sleep pattern is going to change. I remember when when we got our son that sleep was not even on the radar. You know, it was two hours yeah. here, an hour there. And yeah, when he was asleep, you slept because that was only sleep you were going to get. But that lack of sleep moving from all, already this feeling of inadequacy, of course, is going to propel this uh, depression even further. I mean, there's this big stressful change that has happened here. Uh, you have all of these worries in the world. Uh, you know, how am I going to send them to college? You know, you're thinking way ahead about all of these things. And and that's not even uh, when, when you're in this realistic state. Yeah. One thing that postpartum does is also it, it affects your ability to make decisions by yourself. Did you really have that? Uh, decisions? No. I was able to to make decisions. I think the problem was just, am I making the right one? I think that was more of it than making them. Mm -hmm. Because I'm, I think I'm a pretty decisive person, whether or not I have depression. <laughs> um, I think I'm pretty decisive. So that was not too big of an issue. Right. So tell me if you can, I hate to use the word, the worst part, but Tell me what part of that five-month depression did you feel that you were at the lowest? What what did that look like for you? Honestly, following the birth of my daughter, I also decided because there was a six yeah there was the six weeks checkup that happens during that time. I had been either I got the wrong instructions for how to heal, you know, how to with the incision, or I just wasn't taking care of it properly. I think in part, that's what made it worse because I ended up getting back-to-back -back infections. Mm. Then following those infections, I went to the doctor for my six-week checkup. And then at that six-week checkup, I decided I would uh, get on um, birth control. I decided to get an IUD. I was told by the doctor it would be fine for me to do so. Usually with that, again, for people who don't know, you have to wait for your uterus to go back to its normal size before you can insert an IUD. And he was like, Oh, it's, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. So I'm like, all right, you're the doctor. I trust you. I went ahead with it. And then shortly after I started to have excruciating pain, I was not listened to by my doctors. They didn't believe that I was having pain because of the IUD. They thought it was postpartum pain. And that just really, it felt like nobody wanted to listen to me. So I'm already struggling with my daughter. <laughs> I'm struggling with healing. And then on top of that, there's excruciating pain from this IUD. I decided to advocate for myself and go to a different doctor, get a second opinion. And it turned out that the IUD had actually perforated. Mm. So it was now floating around in my abdomen. And my doctors were like, don't worry about it. It's all good. Like, as long as it's not going to kill you, you'll be fine. And I remember just being like, 
why is nobody listening to me? This is not good. Like I'm in so much pain and everybody thinks I'm just making this up. Like it's not real. So it felt like I was on my own for the most part. I then finally went to the ER to figure out what they could do. And they referred me to someone who could uh, surgically remove it. And I remember getting that call where I I had the, um I think it was the nurse or something from that clinic. And they were like, yeah, I'm just calling to schedule your surgery. And I was in the car and I just remember just bawling. I was, I was so sick of, you know, being cut open and having to heal things and like possibly not being able to rest because of another surgery. Just all these things made it work. I think that was the worst part. I just remember being in this parking lot. It was a sunny day. It should have been like a happy time. And I was just so sad because of that. And that was probably at about almost the end of it. So about four-ish months. Yeah. Uh, I find more often than not, I'm having to tell people, you have to be your own advocate. We have to remember that the doctors work for us. We're not their bond servants or slaves or anything like that, that if we don't like their answer, we can get a second opinion. And a lot of times, especially in your case, you know, with a, with that perforation, it could have led to sepsis. It could have, you know, led to major bacterial infections and even could have resulted in death had it gone untreated. And we know our bodies best and we know when something's wrong and it's, it's important for us to get that second opinion. And if you don't like a doctor, fire him. You can hire a new doctor. You know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. we really have to look at it that way. Now, you're going in now for a second surgery. You, you already feel inadequate as a mother and the ability to, to take care of your daughter. And so I would imagine that that would kind of throw you into a more depressed state. So what did you notice to be a symptom wise that got worse after you learned that you were going to have to have surgery? Um, I think I just became really obsessed with how to handle things. I, I don't know how to describe it, but I remember they gave me a date and the date was for October 30th. Yeah, it was Halloween that I was supposed to be having this surgery. So then that whole time, it was that would have been August at that point. So I thought, okay, I have about you know, a month and a half, two months, whatever, to to pump as much breast milk as possible so that I can freeze it. And then my daughter will have something in case I'm going to be out of commission or whatever. I got to like compulsively clean the house. I knew that it was way down the line, but for whatever reason in my head, I'm like, everything has to be perfect so that I don't have to go through the same thing that I went through when she was born. Because I remembered that feeling. So then I was like, I have to eliminate anything and everything that will put me in that same position. And that seemed to help me like mentally, but obviously that wasn't the best approach, but yeah. Yeah. And, and so we kind of get tunnel vision a lot of times when we're depressed and I like to use the adage, you can't see the forest for the trees, you know, everything's Mm -hmm. right there and we can't see the, uh, the end result. So yeah. In that depression after that surgery, which you said this all lasted about five months, how did you notice that you were coming out? Did you see a therapist? Did you talk to friends? Did you get put on medicine? How did you start the process of coming out? So I've actually never been put on medicine. It's only ever come up yesterday. I finally started seeing a therapist and uh, they mentioned that. But when I felt that I was coming out, it was, I think, because 
of what I just mentioned, you know, just over preparing for the whole thing. I then got a call saying that someone had actually canceled their appointment so they could see me way sooner. So at that point, I wasn't, I guess, quote unquote, prepared, but I kind of just let go. I was like, okay, I can't, this isn't going to help anyway. So I might as well just kind of take it day by day. And that seemed to help a lot because I no longer was thinking of the unknowns. I was just like, you can't control everything. And that helped once I had the surgery, I was not in pain. And that also, I think, helped because I no longer, every single day would get up and be in pain. And then I had finally, I think my daughter was finally sleeping through the night (laughs) by then. So you get a little bit of yourself back that way. And so I think that's what helped. It was just a progression of time. And then finally just being like, I I have to let this go. Yeah. Yeah. In depression, we do, if we can get to that point and we realize that we don't control everything, we can, you know, start coming out of that depression. But I think probably, in my opinion, I could be wrong. In my opinion, what probably helped you the most was that you weren't going to have to wait so long to get out of pain that you kind of saw this light at the end of the tunnel that wasn't a month and a half away that really helped you to say, okay, I'm getting this done. I'm going to feel better. And so there's hope. Would that be a fair statement? Honestly, yeah. I remember, um, I don't know if it's TMI, but (laughs) I remember it was probably the day, the day of the day after, I can't remember, but I went to the bathroom and I was, that's when I was having the most pain. And I remember just like bracing myself. And being like, oh, here come, like I'm gonna be in so much pain, and nothing happened. And then I just cry. I was so happy. I started crying. I was like, oh my gosh, I think I finally have my life back. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm okay. Yeah, you're probably right. I think you're definitely right. Another thing I did mention was uh, a lot of the changes in your body after having a baby also triggered a lot of that because I'm, not, I'm not a small person by any means, but it seemed as though it completely changed the shape of my body and I was like nobody told me about this (laughs) and so you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're like well how can I even change this like this is not this is not what I would have wanted so I I also think that that didn't help throughout those months and then I finally kind of just like again same thing had to just be like this is my body now so I just have to accept it so right and and so people that that do not come out of postpartum depression, uh, it can get worse and then lead to what we know as uh, postpartum psychosis or delirium, which is there when they become suicidal or even homicidal. And I think the statistic is something like three percent of people who get to postpartum depression or postpartum psychosis actually will commit suicide or and kill their baby. This is postpartum depression. A lot of times we look at it, and especially as men not understanding, you know, we're just, well, you need to get up. You need to help. You need to do this. We got to do that. And, And we don't always give the ladies the room or the space to work through and process what just happened. Not only are they now a mother, but our bodies have changed. Our emotions have changed. Our brain chemistry has changed. And and so we we don't always give mothers that space. One thing that I've I've always suggested is 
and and this may have happened in your case is that okay you've had the baby you're good the baby's good and then everybody wants to come to the hospital and everybody wants to see you and everybody wants to see the baby i've always suggested to not do that to wait until you and the baby get home and then allow visitors a little bit because it can get overwhelming and if you're already beginning to get depressed and everybody comes to see the baby and they don't spend much time with you it really can knock you down even lower. Yeah, I could see that. I I did have a couple of visitors in the hospital. So as I mentioned, I was mostly with my mom and my husband. And then his parents came maybe the day after she was born, I want to say. And by that point, I was already starting that. And I didn't really want anybody, but I know I knew how excited he was. So I'm like, I can't really have my mom and then not have your parents kind mm-hmm. of thing. So my in-laws were there. I really had to put on like that face of like, oh, I'm doing just fine, even though I'm recovering, like physically recovering from major surgery. And I also wasn't like even now, like our relationship isn't even that good. So it was weird for me to have people there when I'm in my most vulnerable state. So that's not great. I would agree with you, honestly. (laughs) If anything, COVID taught me, you really don't need people around you all the time. You really don't. And then after that, I think we also had my daughter's godfather. He was there too, right after. I think it might have been that day right before we left. So I was slightly better by then, but still didn't really want visitors. And luckily, I kept it together long enough for that. With my second, it was just my husband and nobody else. And that was way better. It does wonders for your mental health, honestly. Yeah. So you mentioned that the in-laws came and you really didn't feel like you wanted them to come or however you you phrase that. Did you ever have that conversation with your husband to say, hey, I, I know that my mom has been here, but I'm really not feeling up to your parents being here and this is why. Did you ever have that conversation with him prior to them coming to the hospital? I think I might have mentioned it because I think he... He might have told me like a couple hours before they were going to come because they might have called him just to get an update, see how I was doing. And then they decided to come in the afternoon kind of thing. So it might have been the morning and then they came in the afternoon. So I had time to like mentally prepare for it, but I still just wasn't really up to it. Um, Yeah, I really don't recall. I think you just told me it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest, yeah, I don't think I remember that. Yeah. And, you know, whether it is postpartum depression or whether it's a seasonal adjust, uh, adjustment disorder or whether or seasonal affective disorder, excuse me, or a major depressive disorder, we've got to trust those people around us enough that we can have those conversations and say, you know, this is why I'm feeling, I don't know, or this is how I'm feeling. I don't know why I feel this way. And for them to have that, that compassionate heart to listen to what you're, what you're saying. And, and I find that most of the time when people are dealing with depression or postpartum depression, it's that they feel so insignificant that they don't think their voice should be heard or they're not good enough for their voice to be allowed to be heard, which is just a lie from the depression. But when we get to that place where we realize, hey, I don't have control, and but I need to let somebody else know that I don't have control, and this is how I'm feeling, it's in those times that we really begin to heal. But it's difficult. It's difficult when you're in the midst of depression. Yeah, I think so. I did try to 
talk to him about it was our first. I remember that. And he didn't really understand it because it's not something he's ever had to deal with. And it was obviously our first time just dealing with all of those emotions in general. And so he would ask, like, what created this? Like, why do you think you feel this way? And I'm like, I don't even have an answer for you. I just know I'm sad and I don't know how to get out of that. And I just remember, like, vividly now, I remember him, like, coming through the door one day afterwards and me just, like, bawling. And he'd be like, what did I do? And I'm like, it's not even about you. I don't even know what it's about. And so for us, it was just navigating that with our daughter as well. It was just a lot to handle. But now he has a way better understanding and he was very much in tune to it with our son. So as soon as we got home from the hospital, you know, he was like, when is it gonna, like, when is it going to hit? And it didn't quite hit the same way. But it, it's really nice that I was eventually able to talk to him about it. Even if it wasn't during that time, I couldn't verbalize it. But now he's a lot more understanding. So that's good. So if you were to if you were able to say something to a new mother or someone who is expecting today, in regard to uh, postpartum depression, what would your words of advice or encouragement be to them? I think I would say that it's really difficult to stand up for yourself or the things that you feel are needed, especially if you're going to be a new mom, I think, like a first-time mom. I think the biggest thing is people are always so excited for the baby and not excited for you, right? Like They're not there for you, and that hits pretty hard. Because it's just like you went through all of this to bring that little person into the world and you're not going to pay attention to me. Like that doesn't, that's not good. So I think it is very important for the mother to make all of those decisions for themselves. So by that, I mean, from before you have the baby to being in the hospital, to who gets to be there or doesn't get to be there, how long of a wait time you want for people to come to your house. Like you need to be comfortable at all times throughout that process, I think. And some people may think it's ridiculous that a mother would be so demanding, but they should be. That's your child. You should be able to make those decisions and people should respect them. And if they don't, then you do not need to have them around because then that means they don't respect you or your wishes. So I think that's my biggest advice. It's hard to to say that to others, I think, but I think women would come out way better for it if they did that. So, Absolutely. Well, Julia, it was good to have you with us here on Not Talks today, and I appreciate your experience, and, and I'm glad that you were able to, to come out of that depression, and I'm glad that you're seeing a therapist now uh, yeah. to just talk and uh, work through life together. So thank you for being with us here today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. Of course, if you are a, a woman who may be suffering from postpartum depression, check out womenshealth.gov, where there are many resources there and self-checks, I guess you could say, to see what you may be dealing with and the severity of your depression. Of course, you can always talk to your therapist or counselor or mental health provider uh, about the depression that you may be dealing with. Once again, we thank you for listening today. I'm Doc Brian. You can find 
me at thedocbrian.com. All of my social media links are at the bottom of that website. Of course, you can always call in our guest line at 910-777-7239. You can call, leave us a message, or you can text that number. That's 910-777-7239. Of course, Doc Talks is a part of the Be Frank Network. You can find all of our podcasts there at befranknetwork.com. Thank you once again for listening today. We hope that you have a great week and we'll see you soon. Goodbye.